Hello, everybody. This is Pastor Dale Walker. I want to welcome you to our leadership podcast. We are looking at how to become leaders that lead like Jesus. I'm excited to have you listening. If you want the notes on this, you can get them at dalewalker.life. There's also a lot of other resources to help you grow in your leadership. Share this with someone if you are blessed. I know you will be. God bless you. Well, hello, everybody. Pastor Dale here again. So excited to share this teaching with you in this series, Leading from the Throne Room of God. And and today I want to talk a little bit about leading people into the throne room and taking the power of God from the throne room to people. You know, perhaps two observations to start with. Leading people uh, in prayer is one of the most powerful leadership things you and I ever do. Whether that's our family, I'll never forget my parents' prayers, whether that's friends, that's uh, associates, or people that are hurting. When we pray with people, we not only, of course, invite God to touch them, but we, we impart to them some very deep things. Again, I remember Abraham Lincoln's words that he said, the prayers of my mom have followed me to this day, even as he was president. Um, how we pray with people sets the tone in our marriage, our family, how we pray at church or how we pray with our small group or whatever setting we have. And leading people in that prayer is so, so strategic. Another key observation is that God wants us to become vessels that bring the gifts of God from his throne room to people in need. Uh, I, I know when I used to go to the Philippines and mission trips and my kids would get excited because they knew I'd bring them something back. And you know, every time you and I are in our prayer closet, we're in the throne room, God has gifts. He has gifts and he wants to send us to be channels of those gifts to people. And, and what we've been saying is that as we intercede in the throne room, we are allowing God to give us something for the public. You know, what is spoken in secret becomes shouted in the, in the public. And I, I believe that uh, this is one of the most important kind of parts of my own story was to realize in a greater way what praying with people and bringing the presence of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to people through praying with them could really mean I was greatly impacted going all the way back to 1982 when I first met John Wimber and the beginning of the Vineyard Church movement. Maybe you're not familiar with him, but uh, the Vineyard Church, the revival that took place there, kind of is the foundation of so much that's happening now, Bethel, uh, Pensacola, Toronto, so many revivals you hear about had their roots here and what I'll never forget is Sharon and I were invited there as very young pastors, tremendous troubles in our lives and our marriage. And we came into an environment where people didn't just pray for you. I, I've always known that, but they prayed for us in a way they expected God to come. Well, God came and I can just tell you that within that weekend, the healing prayer changed our whole life. It healed our marriage it completely brought an impartation of God's power on us. 
And it was so defining because I, I went back from there to my church and began to train people in the prayer model that I'm gonna talk about today. And when I began to, to tell people, hey, this is normal Christianity, and I, I would give a verse like Matthew 10, seven and eight, where Jesus said, go and tell people the kingdom of heaven is near, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those of leprosy and drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. And when people actually began to expect God to come, when they prayed with people, we began to hear of miracles in schools. I remember getting calls from Parkland High School in El Paso. There's, there, there's just now been people filled with the Holy Spirit in this room and they don't know what this is and the teachers are asking what's happening here. I, I remember one incident that's so much an example of this, kind of part of how the church here in Las Cruces started. Our very first kind of convert um, walking in the airport, in Phoenix airport, looking over and seeing a young woman, a teenage girl with her parents uh, in utter distress and, and having some friends say, I, I think you should go pray over her. And I was hesitant, you know, this is odd. And, and, and I kind of came over there and my Mickey Mouse voice, hey, could we pray for you? You know, but, but they said, oh yes, would you please? And, and I prayed for, for Sarah's her name. There was a sweet sense of God's presence. Ended up sitting by them in the airplane. God brought her and her family to the Lord, healed her. Uh, the whole history of their life changed just by praying with someone who believed God wanted to come and do some things that would heal them in that moment. I wanna just share with you five lessons that I learned from John Wimber in those early days about becoming someone who leads others in prayer in a way that they experience the power of God and change. Number one principle is what you believe will determine what you expect and attempt for God when you pray for people in desperate need. Here's what I tell people I think it's so important to answer this question. Do you expect God to show up? <laughs> if someone comes and says, would you pray? My back hurts and my kids are lost. Do you believe that God is gonna move? Uh, are you willing even to step out on a limb and dare to ask God to do impossible things because you are so confident that God has anointed you Jesus gave us this principle when he said, know that the kingdom of God is at hand. One of the things I learned from John Wimber is the reality that healing doesn't come because I'm worthy or I'm God's man of faith and power, but because Jesus, when he died on the cross and rose again, he tore the veil of that curtain between heaven and earth. And he taught us that we have keys of kingdom and we can pray, Lord, as it is in heaven, let it come on earth. We can tell people that as we're praying, we are authorized not only as Christians to help people get to heaven. Everybody who's a Christian believes that we could lead someone to Christ and they could go to heaven, but we are authorized to bring heaven to the hurts of people, to ask that the presence of Jesus would come. We are in that season we know between Christ's first and second coming where we are not yet seeing the fullness of what Jesus promised, perfect bodies, perfect life. 
But we do see a promise that he would give us a down payment, that the eventual reality, power, healing, breakthrough that we're gonna experience in heaven, we can ask for it now. We can sense it now, you know. Uh, the other night, we've been so hot, the weather here, but we started to feel a little bit of cool. We said, you know, fall is coming. It's not here yet. And every time God answers a prayer and heals someone or restores them, what he's doing is showing us the kingdom is at hand. It's as close as your hand. You can ask and expect and believe. God will come when you pray. I love it when Peter is at the gate of the temple in Acts 3, 6, and a man is, is there who hasn't walked. And Jesus, uh, Peter says these words when he's asked for silver and gold. He says in Acts 3, 6, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Something that jumped out at me in that verse was such as I have. Friend, do you know if you're a Christian, you have the authorization to use the name of Jesus, to be as it were, the hands and feet of Jesus, to stand as and for uh, Christ in situations of need and that you have at your disposal the power of Jesus' name, his sign check that has backed by all of the promises of resurrection, healing, and life. And you can pray with expectancy and boldness that God will break through. And when you begin to see that, it's, it's incredible how much more God uses you. I like to tell people one of the keys to really effectively praying for people is knowing your identity. You are someone who's been authorized by God to open the windows of heaven you are the one that it says in Luke 4, 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted. That is anointing that was on Jesus, he says, has been put upon you. The second part of that is just the reality that the promise of the gospel is inherently a gospel that is not only a gospel of words, but of works. I remember something I learned from John Wimber, very powerfully showed me from the Bible that whenever Jesus spoke, there was not just words, but those words were always backed by works. In Mark 4.23, Matthew 4.23, it says, Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. In other words, every time there was a message of Jesus, there was a ministry of Jesus. And many times we don't realize that when we speak the word, the Lord is there to confirm it. In Mark 16, 20, it says the disciples went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, 4, 5, he says, I came to you in weakness and trembling, my message wasn't with enticing words of man's wisdom, but it was with a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. One translator said in those days, he's talking about the Greeks and their great oratory skills. And he said, 
Paul said, I'm not that great of an orator and my words aren't flowery. But he says, what makes my words so different than another teacher is that my closing argument is that God shows up and he heals. And he doesn't just give a declaration. He gives a manifestation of his power. And I, I like what John would say. He'd say, you know, when we read the Bible, it's like a menu. How funny it would be for someone to just study the menu, memorize the menu, and never ask what's on the menu. Everything on the menu is something tangible, what God wants to do. God wants to come as we press in and expect there's gonna be an activation to this word. All right, Lord, how do you wanna demonstrate that this is your word by touching someone, healing someone today in a special way? As we begin to move in that, we begin to sense that God has brought the power of the throne room into situations where we might pray with someone at our school or in a difficult place. But suddenly, we aren't just praying in that place. We're praying with a heaven opened and the power that's in, in heaven being there. A second key I have found to leading people in prayer more effectively comes from realizing that authority and power to impact people in our prayer ministry comes out of our intimacy with God. It is out of a heart that has sought to, to hear the voice of God, to live in fellowship with God, that the presence of God is manifest when we go pray with people. Those people who have been used the most of God, you they, they, they have this one thing in common. It's a hunger for God. They're hungry for the presence of God. And they seek to dwell throughout their day, aware of God's presence, immersed in a desire to know him, to hear his voice. I think of Moses in Exodus 33, 15, who says, Lord, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us from here. You know, he's saying, God, this is, the ministry is not something I'm gonna do because I have a lot of training or knowledge. It's gonna be, if God shows up, it's gonna be, come Holy Spirit. It's gonna be because you're there. In Acts 4.13, the Sanhedrin, the educated of the days of the early disciples were shocked when they heard Peter and John preach. And they said, but when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled and ordinary men, they took note that they had been with Jesus. I just love that phrase. What made them stand out? What allowed Peter to say, rise and walk, to have such power and authority? It was that he was spending time with Jesus. There was a closeness to the presence of God. I like to say it this way, moving in the power of the Holy Spirit doesn't come from hype, but from hearing. It doesn't come because we shout real loud, we're men of faith and power, you know, we got all of this knowledge. It comes because we're listening and we're dialed in and we can hear the Father speak to us. Faith comes by hearing God's voice. It, it comes by being intimately acquainted when God wants to do and asking God continuously, God, what do you wanna do? I love this verse in John 5, 19, when Jesus is asked about how he does his miracles, he says, very truly, I tell you, 
The son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. And I love that verse because we see one of the things about Jesus is as he ministered and prayed with people, he wasn't in a hurry. I think of the story where they throw at his feet the woman caught in adultery. And what is he doing? He's riding in the sand. He's just there. What is he doing? He's, he's waiting to see, what, what are you doing, Father? What are you saying? I've learned if you want to minister in the Spirit, you have to be willing to wait, to listen, to dial in, to be still. But I love this confidence that Jesus has. And again, it back to that identity thing where he says, the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he does. I'd like to ask you to do something right now. Put your name in there and just say, the father loves Dale and he will show him all that he's gonna do. Just say that, the father loves your name. Father is so into me and with me, he's gonna show me what he's doing today. He's gonna tell me who he's healing, who he's working. You see, the ministry of the kingdom is simply joining and partnering with the Father and what he's doing. Like we say, it's not God bless what I'm doing, it's God, let me do what you're blessing. Let me, let me come at this moment and sense what you're doing. Show me, Lord, how do you wanna help that person? How do you wanna heal that person? What do you wanna say to them? That is the root of ministry. It is significant to me that, that power flows through weakness one of the things I, I noticed in John and others is that they were people who deeply recognized their weakness. Uh, they were humble people. Uh, there was no airs about them. They knew they could do nothing apart from God. They knew they had nothing to offer. Unless God comes, they couldn't do it. They, they were the jars of clay. I love what what Paul said, I'm just with fear and trembling, you know. I'm not coming here because I've got all this answers for people. No, but, but in weakness, because when I'm weak, that's when I know God best. That's when I hear God. And that's when God uses me best, when I'm totally dependent on him. Uh, I love this quote by Jim Cimbala. He wrote a book called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. And he saw a revival in his church there in New York City. And I love this quote. He said, I discovered an astonishing truth. God is attracted to weakness. He can't resist those who humbly and honestly admit how desperately they need him. Our weakness, in fact, is what makes room for his power. Isn't that good? You know, the more vulnerable you are, where I've seen God come is in those times of worship and in those times where God takes the mask off. He, he undoes me. I, I, I'm willing to just be broken in his presence, in awe of him, humbled by him. That's when the power of God flows, not because of fancy words, but because of a humble heart. Um, God moves not by hype, but by the hearing of an open and humble heart. Part of that is revealed in how we pray for people. Again, here's a phrase we use, supernaturally natural and naturally supernatural. In other words, 
You don't have to be weird for God to use you. You just be yourself. You don't have to have fancy things to say. God loves it when you just speak in the most natural way, come in the most humble way. You don't have to have great faith. You just have to know you have a very faithful God. <laughs> it's not your faith. You know, someone said, kind of traveled a lot and, and, and says, wow, you must really trust your wife, you know? And, and, and this guy said, no, it's not that I trust my, it's that I have a great wife. She is so trustworthy. In other words, it is a God who is so willing. In fact, Galatians 2.20 says, you don't have to have a lot of faith because you get to live by the faith of the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. One of the things when we pray for people, we encourage you to do, let all the pressure be on God, not on you. This isn't a performance. If, if they're healed now, they're healed. If, if they're not, well, you knew that you couldn't heal anybody. You're not taking the pressure. One of the things that's helped me is this quote from, a, from my friend, Gerald Brooks. He says, realize, especially as you pray with people, that sometimes God works or heal when you pray, but most of the time he works and heals because you pray. Most of the time it's, it's much later. But when we are humble and we are honest, we create a place for God to come. A fourth principle is practice the obedience of faith. Faith looks like being willing to step out faithfully and asking, expecting God to do the impossible, not because we're sure we'll be successful, but we are convinced that that is simply part of what it means to be obedient. You know, uh, again, John Wimber's story, he said he never started praying for the sick because he wanted a healing ministry. He simply found in Matthew 10, 8 and others where God said, heal the sick. If there's any sick, pray the prayer of faith. And he began to say, Lord, I'm not doing this because it's convenient, but because it's commanded. I, I'm doing this because I know it pleases you for me to boldly ask and pray for miracles. In fact, it was, he said it was close to 200 people he prayed for and nothing happened. In fact, some of them, he said, even died that he prayed for. And yet he just kept praying for people. I wonder how many of us who want God to use us as we pray for others would even be willing to pray for 200 people before we saw an answer. But it was that heart of obedience that resulted in, in God doing great things. Can I tell you about seeing great miracles from God? There's a tenacity involved in it. There's, there's, there's nothing like having somebody who prays for you or with you who, when they pray, it's, I like to say, they're like a bulldog uh, with a bone. I don't know if you've ever seen a bulldog, but if you, you throw a bone and the bulldog gets the bone, if you pick up the bone, you're gonna pick up the bulldog because the bulldog is never gonna let go of the bone, you know? And, and in the same way, God is honored by people who say, I'm gonna pray and I wanna keep praying. And if, if nothing happens this time, I'm gonna pray for you tomorrow. And if nothing happens tomorrow, I'm gonna keep on praying for you. We don't know sometimes how many locks are on the door. We pray, we, we break the stronghold, but maybe that's one lock and there's 200 locks. But every time we keep pressing in, we expect another lock to be broken. Great prayers take on a burden of prayer for people, as I've said in a previous thing. They're not just fulfilling a request for prayer. They're taking on an assignment to see that person healed or restored. 
And it's that wholehearted commitment that results in things happening. A key part of this also includes being willing to take risks, uh, to step out on holy hunches and, and, and pray for people when you sense that God is doing something. One of the things that happens when you begin to pray with people in expectancy for the sick or for miracles, you begin to sense what we call the gifts of the Holy Spirit, words of knowledge, words of wisdom. Uh, you begin to sense things in your spirit. There's times you may sense an overwhelming compassion as you walk into a room, and that's God showing you that there's someone he's gonna let you pray with because they need mercy today. You may have visual pictures. God may give you a vision. Sometimes we say, sometimes you see things as you're in a room or with people. Uh, you, may, you may see someone being in your mind who has a back problem. Sometimes you can read it. Sometimes the Lord will give you a, a verse you read and cross the, the screen of your heart or mind. Sometimes you feel things as, as it were sympathy pains and know, wow, God wants to heal. Sometimes you might just have a hunch. You just know that you know God's gonna do something now. And sometimes you're just moved to speak even though you're not sure what you're gonna say, but there's a bubbling up towards a person. The key thing is, are you willing to take risks and sometimes fail, you know? I remember when I was just 16 and started to pray for people. The first lady I prayed for, she was in, in a wheelchair and I was so ambitious, but I prayed for her and I was praying for her to walk and, and, and I asked her how she felt and then she kind of took the blanket off her lap. I realized she, she literally had no legs and I was just paralyzed and I just said, I'm sorry. And I, I just fumbled away and I said, I, I'm embarrassed. I don't ever want to pray for anyone again. That just was, you know. And yet I kept praying. And one day shortly after, a lady came in on, on crutches and to the church I was at. And the Lord said, would you pray for her? I, I said, wow, yeah. And then all of a sudden I had this, this impulse of faith. She's going to be healed now. And so when I prayed her, I said, the Lord heals you. Put down your, your crutch. She literally put down her crutch, started dancing around. It was just amazing. And she actually gave me the crutches. But it was because I was able to push through and take risks that I saw God move in great power. I remember hearing a story of the great Amy Simple McPherson, who was the founder of the Foursquare Movement, saw amazing miracles in Angeles Temple in Los Angeles in the 20s. And uh, she... She was known to have one of the most incredible gifts. So there was a pastor visiting her church one day and he was like real critical of her and said, well, God, why are you using her so much? Uh, I'm more educated on so forth. And all of a sudden the Lord said, you see that man over there? He's, he's living in sin and, and not faithful to his wife and he's, he's got cancer, he has some disease. I want you to go over and ask him if you can pray for him and ask him if he's ready to repent. And he said, Lord, I could never do that. That's too embarrassing. That, that would be weird, you know? And he just kind of tried to, to brush it off. And all of a sudden from the stage, Amy says, the Lord's showing me there's someone, you, sir, back there. There's, there's a, a sin in your life. There's a disease. If you'll repent right now, the Lord's gonna heal you. And right there, the man repents. He gets healed. And, and the Lord says to that stubborn old pastor, see, now you know why I'm using Amy McPherson and not you. And so are we willing to step out? Can I pray for you? One of our sisters was just telling me last week, Inez 
had a, a repairman come over to her house and, and he's working on whatever and she just feels discernment in her spirit that this man is suffering and having a hard time. And so she boldly comes and, and asks if, if she could pray for him. And he begins to pour out his heart. And as she prays, God comes. And he's so touched. He's so ministered to. And he just says, this was my divine appointment. Thank you so much. God sent me here to be prayed for. And, and I was so proud of her obedience. The last thing is, uh, if you wanna see God use you in a powerful way to pray with people, have a plan to pray with people, have a model. And, and way back then, uh, John Wimber the Vineyard came up with this five-step healing prayer model. Many of you have heard me teach it, it's in the sermon notes here, and love to go unpack it more with you. But just let me, let me just mention what these five steps are. If you're gonna pray with people, you need to have an idea. Well, what am I gonna do when I pray with someone? So here's what those five steps are. Let me mention them. Number one is the interview in which you ask somebody, what do you need Jesus to do for you? You learn the person's name and you listen to them as they share what's going on. Now, at the same time, you listen to God because sometimes God will show you things about that person. You'll have a sense of hurts that they don't even admit. Step two is is the diagnostic side, decision, the cause. What's the cause? You're asking, why does this person have this condition? It might be obvious they had, a, they had an accident, but it also could be something else. You discern what is the emotional or spiritual or even a demonic uh, presence at work in this that there might be roots to this cause. Uh, I shared this past Sunday when I was praying for a lady who was ill and the Lord asked me, to ask her about her baby. She said she had none. And then after a while, she starts weeping and she confessed that she had had an abortion. And ever since then, she had been sick. And I was able to help lead her into receiving God's forgiveness. And then she was healed. Sometimes we do invite confession or repentance. Step number three is the prayer selection. We answer the question in our mind, how does God want us to pray? I always begin this by inviting and blessing the ministry of the Holy Spirit in that person's life. I'll say, Jane, let's pray. Holy Spirit, come, come. We bless your presence here. Then I'll, I'll petition on behalf of the person and I'll listen to God for prayer. What's rising in my spirit as I pray? We know from scripture there's prayers to God and there are prayers from God. There are prayers that are simply asking God for things. And then there are times when God gives us a gift of faith. He tells us, this is what I'm doing. At that point, we will often speak directly to the pain or the condition, or if it's a demonic affliction, we'll say, in the name of Jesus, I command you, cancer, leave this body. Jesus talks about that when he says, if you see a mountain, say it in the mountain, be removed. If you don't doubt in your heart, it will happen. During this time, we may lay hands on them or anoint them with oil, as is appropriate. Uh, sometimes I have people take the communion if I'm visiting them in the hospital or something else. That's often very helpful. Then number four, step number four is the assessment step, which is basically what's happening. You know, Jesus in Mark 8, 22, asked a man who was, who was blind. He prayed for him and he says, do you see now? And the man says, well, I see men like trees walking. And Jesus said, okay, let's pray again, you know. 
you, you are interactive. And let me just say this. I think this is one of the most powerful things about being an effective prayer, praying with people effectively. And that is to see our, our model of prayer as a journey with this person. It's not us performing a prayer. It's us journeying with that person to the presence of God and inviting the presence of God to that person. I've used the phrase that William Booth used before I thought was great. You know, ministry is one beggar telling another beggar where the bread is. It's just us taking Jesus, taking people to Jesus. But questions and asking and interacting with that person uh, often releases faith in them, helps them articulate, helps them realize things the Holy Spirit's doing that they didn't even realize. And so that, that discussion you have as you pray, um, Keeping your eyes open is very effective in this. Watching what God's doing. Sometimes you can literally see the Lord moving. Sometimes one of the reasons I, I like to take my time when I pray with people, there's often waves. There's a first wave, the Holy Spirit touches it. And then there's a pause. And then sometimes there's another wave. And each time God may be doing something more or deeper. And so we're always trying to sense that. We're not in a hurry. And then finally, step five is... Uh, Follow-up, how do I finish ministering? And we're just asking in our heart, has the Holy Spirit finished? Uh, is the person saying they're finished? Am I running out of things to say? But at this point, we want to close, bring great closure. We want to affirm and encourage that person in Christ. We want to encourage them to get further ministry. That very often, I tell people, God, God doesn't always completely heal someone when we pray, but he always heals them some way. He, he touches their heart, he encourages them. Sometimes I'll ask questions uh, on, a, on, a, on a level between one and 10, what was your pain when we started praying? And what is it now? Maybe it was an eight, now it's a four. And sometimes if they want to, I'll go back and start praying again to get it from a four to a two. Encourage them if, if necessary to, to contact a pastor. Think of what would be best for the follow-up. As I close this session, I just want to challenge you. Become one of the greatest things you'll ever become, someone who leads others through prayer into the throne room of God, who stands with them, who claims victories for them. If you do this in your family, in your church, with others, you will make amazing difference. God bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Pastor Dale's Leadership Podcast. It is our hope that you have been inspired in a great way. We encourage you to stay tuned for future content. May God bless you richly.